as we learn more and more about the benefits and strength of the molecule melanin, do you feel there's some sort of a parallel in how beneficial it is for the culture to learn more about those of us who have varying degrees of melanin? Yes, I I I think um, I, I didn't explode. I mean, I mean, I mean, maybe you need to comment on that. Welcome to the Pokes Podcast. I'm Jacob Longin, and as you just heard, I have a co-host this episode, Editor Jason Wallace. We interview Dr. Toby Nelson, an associate professor in the Department of Chemistry, who is inspired by his hometown hero, Ronald McNair, the second black astronaut. Dr. Nelson also talks about how he's working with RPX Technologies, a Stillwater-based company founded by OSU alumni, to save lives with a product called Draco. Andy explains his view that chemistry is awesome, with highlights from his other research areas, which are based on melanin. You'll learn that it can do a whole lot more than you think. This is Black History Month. Do you have any thoughts on Black History Month? Hmm, this is interesting. Um, So my thoughts on Black History Month is that Yes, it's a time to celebrate um, black and brown people, but I also think that this should be spread out through the whole entire year to make sure that, you know, people are celebrated equally. It shouldn't just, you know, um, be um, closed into one month. But of course, just like um, we have holidays during that time, we want to celebrate that during that time, but we just don't want to like close it into a box where it just in just one month. I know one of the important uh, elements of Black History Month is for someone like myself, who is white, to learn about uh, some black figures that I may not have known about, but also for people who aren't white, especially children, to see people who've gone before and see um, that they can be these things. And I know from a previous conversation with you, that was an important element in your life, having an inspirational figure or a a role model who inspired you to go into science. Will you talk about that story? I'm originally from Lake City, South Carolina, and I have a uh, role model, uh, I guess someone that has been inspiring, that is someone from the hometown that I'm from. So his name is Dr. Ronald E. McNair. He was an astronaut and physicist. And uh, um, he also was the physicist aboard the Challenger um, that exploded in um, 1986. Now I'm not remembering the exact time. And there's some some vague memories of him coming back home to Lake City, South Carolina in parades. Um, There is a memorial now there in, uh, in Lake City, South Carolina for him. There's a story that when he was young, he wanted to go to the library and check out a book. But he wasn't allowed to because he was black. So he couldn't check out books then. And so one day he decided that he was going to go and check out the book. He didn't want to he didn't want to go to the library and just read the book in it. He wanted to take the book home. Uh, What's ironic about it is the same library that he couldn't get a book to check out of is the same library they converted into his memorial. And so, you know, that in itself just kind of give me the jitters that things are changing, but we still have some, we still have a long way to go. 
but you know those types of things you know it really, it really are very inspiring. Um, and there's a, there's a children's book that's actually been published on that. How old were you in 86 when, when he died? In 86. Um, so I was born in 78. So I'd have been eight. Okay. It, it, um, I think for, because he was a town hero, it was on I mean, literally that that stopped and we went to the television, you know, mm-hmm. back then, you know, had that roll in television with VCR and thing. Yes, yes. It's, <laughs> it's got straps on the top. You're not yep. going to take, take the television. You're not going to take the, the it's like, who wants that? But whatever. Um, and um, um, and so we had a television there. And I remember I I vaguely remember the first one there was i think there was a launch in 84 mm. i think there was a launch in 84 and so i would have been six and i i vaguely because i think i was in i was either in first grade or i was in kindergarten so i remember that one but you know i, I remember right. the tv i'm in a television being on there and and so i but i do remember exactly um from the the second one explosion because it was a it was a lot of people and and they he still had family in town mm. yeah and um um so you know what was ironic i think in 84 is when he he played like the saxophone in space mm. yeah i mean also, also very cool <laughs> He was a he was a black belt. He was a black belt and he played he played like saxophone. I'm like, I'm I'm nowhere near you. <laughs> nowhere, nowhere near you. I what a yeah, what a what a great person. And and yeah. like you were saying earlier, just from what little I know about him here, someone who held onto his culture, right? Yes, this was he was who he was. Yep. And he didn't change that. He didn't change that. He he wanted people to experience his culture and people respected that he was going to do these things like, you know, playing saxophone. Who would even think to do that? Like, I mean, <laughs> right. I mean, I would assume the, the, the amount of lungs you have to have to do that first thing. There's a few things that I make sure that you know, people know that this is who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're not going to change who you are. And so I, I want you to know that these these are the things a part of my culture. And I, I can't, I, I don't even know how to change those things. So you obviously, you are a black man who is a scientist now. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that it's, well, I assume that it's easier now for people coming up younger than you. Did you have to overcome some barriers? Um, I think, you know, we had trailblazers like Ronald E. McNair and so many others who have gone through some of the challenges that we don't have to go through today. And uh, one great thing is that, you know, they, they don't just lead by example, but they also reach back and help and mentor us such that we can navigate through the system um, a little bit easier than they had. Um, I have um, been in communication with a 
you know, I would say a recent mentor of mine, mine his name is Isaiah Warner. He is at uh, LSU. And, um, you know, they are reaching back and pushing for brown and black people into the areas that they weren't able to infiltrate at that point in time. And so having those types of mentors and, and trailblazers have made it easier, but not everything, you know, everyone has their own challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most people think that, you know, I I grew up wanting to be a scientist. <laughs> I didn't know what that, I didn't know these things. You know, for me, it was one of those things where for me, I knew that I wanted to go to college. I realized that chemistry was one of those areas of science was the area that interests me, but also that I was actually good at. Mm. And so that kind of propelled me into the area. Do you think about how you now can be inspiring to a younger generation of future scientists? I this is this is um the reason I am a professor today is I decided that I wanted to be I wanted to mentor and inspire the next generation of engineers and scientists, especially those of unrepresentative um, groups. And so my one of my missions, and I think about impact all the time, the impact that I can make as a black scientist is one being in front of the classroom, communicating to people that look like me and those that don't look like me, and basically bridging those gaps that we think that haven't been bridged before, mm-hmm. where you know, most of the people that I experienced, they have never seen a black or brown person in front of them before. And so they may come with some thoughts about what that looks like and how they think. And then sometimes I can change that or basically strengthen their views of, of those things. In the world of chemistry, I would say most academia spheres seem to be diversifying. Is chemistry increasingly diverse? Is it less and less of an issue? So I would say science and engineering uh, in particular is not diverse at all. Mm. When I say usually there may be one black or brown person there and most of them do not have any. Wow. Um, you know, let's just look at um, our, our university. Um, the engineering do not have any. Chemistry has three black or brown people, and then physics has some. So it's increasing, but it's still not diverse at all. I've heard a lot of talk about some skepticism with the coronavirus vaccine, and especially Mm -hmm. among the black community. Mm -hmm. And they point back to the Tuskegee experiments. Mm -hmm. And I know that I've heard stories of uh, them trumpeting. There was a black woman was one of the lead scientists on one of the vaccines. I'm not sure which one. Basically, do you have any thoughts on that? And I realize biomedicine is a little different. In the Black community, there is definitely skepticism linked to to Stiggy um, Project and other projects where people have been exploited as research without their permission. Then we have issues with, you know, not being educated about what things could do. And if you think about the people that are on the front lines, a lot of them are black and brown people. 
So if you're thinking about, you know, people preparing food, people that are the, the nurses, and a lot of those people are the black and brown people. And so these are the people that are uh, basically kind of will be forced to take the coronavirus without mm-hmm. their permission, uh, not permission, without their hesitation over their right, reluctance. Right, right, exactly. So they, 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 that's not even in the picture. They, they, they're not even asked about that. Yeah. So then I'll talk about, you know, me personally, there's lots of reports that coronavirus in particular are very deadly to the Black community and just the coronavirus in particular. I can talk about my family in particular. I've had several people who have passed away. My dad passed Mm -hmm. away of coronavirus back in January. Yeah, my mom and dad got coronavirus and my dad passed away. The symptoms that they have reported earlier, my dad didn't have those symptoms. So for instance, you know, they said that you have a cough. My dad never had a cough. My mom never had a cough. They had other symptoms. Um, and so it affect people differently. So with the vaccine, uh, the vaccine was the original question, right? Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> with the vaccine, I as a scientist was very skeptical with taking the the vaccine. One, I researched how vaccines were made, and I knew that they take two years to be made through the the whole entire process. And so I was really skeptical how they were actually able to make make a vaccine in six months. And then also being a scientist, you know, now I'm going to do research, and I have communicated with a lot of the people that I trust and asked them what they think about the vaccine and what they were going to do. And then I really talked to a virologist friend of mine, and he said that he really educated me of what is going on with the vaccine. The vaccine isn't a traditional vaccine. This mm-hmm. is actually synthesized. So someone is actually making this versus before they had a host, they infected the host, and then from the host, they were able to get the vaccine from them. Well, the new vaccine is not like that. The new vaccine, someone is synthesizing this vaccine. And that's why they're able to make this in such a very quick and speedy time. Before I was like, okay, for me and my family, we're going to take it, we're going to take it after the fourth round. (laughs) I mean, it was like the fourth round, then we'll think about taking it. Um, But it went from, you know, the fourth time to the second round. Still, I, I know because of the allergies, because some people are being affected in terms of allergies. I know that we have to, my family in particular, we have very severe allergies and we don't want that to be an issue when we take the, uh, the vaccine. That was long-winded, I know. <laughs> no, no, I, I, think that's all, I think that's all good stuff. And that was not even a question I had originally planned, but- um, That was a good question. But- that's, well, thank you. And, and that that's was a kind very of good question. That was a very good question because um, we have people that are, why, why wouldn't you take the vaccine? Mm. And then as a scientist, it becomes even more skeptical. So you're a scientist and you don't want to take the vaccine. What, what, what is going on there? And so that was my hesitation. So I know from previous conversation with you and even what you're saying now, you talk about being young and having someone like Dr. McNair uh, inspire you. You're now a college professor. You are, by any standard, you're a successful individual. But that doesn't mean that you don't still deal with being a Black man who is therefore a minority in the world. Do you want to talk about what that's like at all? 
Hmm, that's heavy. Let's see what I want. <laughs> Let's see where I want to go. Okay. Um, I'm going to open you up to my to my world. I'm in my office, and I would like to uh, visit with someone who has a similar culture as I do. I ponder and try to determine who this could be. It's not that I can just go outside my and go talk to someone and that would be fine. And what when, when something I want you uh, something I'm trying to I'm trying to, to communicate is that um, when you have you know how um, you and your brothers or sisters or siblings, you communicate, you have something in common where yeah. you don't even have to communicate about it. You don't have to go down the road of communicating about it because you know you have had experience in it. So you can talk about something on the top level without going deep. You don't yeah. have to go deep because it's already there. Yeah. And so if I want to speak to someone, it's always at, if I want to communicate to them about something, I would have to go down deep. Mm-hmm. then come back up and I'm exhausted by the time I get there. <laughs> right. 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 And so I want someone that, how are you doing? And they understand when I ask them how they're doing, I'm really talking about how they're, how they're physically doing, how is your family doing all that stuff without even saying that mm-hmm. because you, because you have, you have, you have the same experiences. Well, Reaching out when I'm in my office, trying to get that is very difficult. I don't, I, I don't, I don't have, I don't have that at, at my disposal mm-hmm. very easily. So, so I feel that the, the, the simplest, I feel lonely. Mm. I just feel lonely. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. That's something I had not thought about. So I just feel lonely. It's, it all bonds down to, I feel lonely. I can't always be myself because then I would have to explain why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it's exhausting. <laughs> right. Right. If th- does this make sense what I'm trying to say? Yeah. yeah it, it does. It, okay. Loneliness is something that black and brown people deal with all the time. Just loneliness. Because there is fewer of us that understand how it is to be a Black faculty at a research institution, mm-hmm. there's few of us that really understand and you can communicate about that. I'm not even sure how to ask this or whether we get into this, but... Yeah, let's, let's go for it. Do you worry about if you talk a certain way, you act a certain way, that you will be stereotyped I don't know how else to put that, mm-hmm. that you want to be seen as you're an intelligent, serious man. And there could be a fear of people not thinking you're that because you're a black man. And well, look, see, see what he's saying. He's over there talking about a rapper, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, which, which I talk about by the right. way, right. <laughs> I'm white. <laughs> so there have been progressions, I would say over time, I have a heavy dialect and it really shows up when I'm excited. 
<laughs> so when I'm in the classroom and I'm excited, you can talk to any of my students, my dialect and my accent shows up. And I have realized that's what they need. They need to see that people are different. Yeah. They come from different places. And I tell them, I even put it in my um, one of my lectures where I, I, I said, I'm from South Carolina. Today, I, I recently spoke to my mother. And there's a high possibility some of the things I say today may be different. Because when I speak to my mother, when I, I, it's hard for me to transition from that dialect into what I would say a more English dialect that I'm properly saying the words correctly. And I've gotten to where I'm apologizing, but I'm not, I'm not apologetic, but I'm apologizing. And I'm not mm. really sure how to, how, to, how to really explain that. So I know that this is going to exist. So I'm basically, aler- I'm alarming you what's going to happen. <laughs> that, well, I'm, I'm preparing you for what's about to happen to you today. <laughs> well, and, uh, and it, it does sound like from what you were just saying, um, i I mean, I'm, I'm a parent, as are you, and I want my children to understand how to interact with people different from That's them and, and to understand that just because somebody doesn't look like you or talk like you or, or think like you, that doesn't mean they don't have something valuable to contribute. They might actually, be a whole heck of a lot smarter actually, than you are. Actually, they have a lot to, right. to bring to the table. Yeah. And so this is a nugget that... I would like people to understand nature has spent millions of years diversifying such that it can create all of these things that we see in particularly the coronavirus. The reason why the coronavirus is so deadly and so difficult to treat is because of its diversification. But we are choosing not to diversify every asset of the human experience when nature is telling us we need to do that mm. in order to, to have a strong humanity and mm. survive. We have to have everyone at the table in order to advance science, academia, Engineering, every asset of the human experience needs to be diversified if we want to survive and continue to survive for millions of years. We have to change the way we think about this. And everyone has to have a voice. And everyone's voice has to be at least evaluated. That's an excellent point. And I think of other things I could add on there, but it's really not. No, continue. No, not, no, no. Well, go, go. I, I know I've heard some, some scientists and other people talk about the, like the success of the human race and how we have right. more, more people than we've ever had and you know, advancing technology and all of these things. And shoot, look at what we just did with the coronavirus vaccine. And I've heard some very intelligent scientists point out a big part of it is we have the best and the brightest regardless of – of gender, of race, of age, of religion. Like, let's just get the smartest people working just on these put them in, just, just put them together. 
Right, right. Just say, let's, let's decide that we're going to take all the smartest people. Mm-hmm. What can we do? We can, we can get people to the moon. Yeah. Even the, people that, even the people that you didn't see in the spotlight that was, you know, that was behind the table, if you didn't have them, they would never have made it to the moon. Right. I, yeah. I, I, I just don't understand. It just really confuses me. So even as a very successful man, when you're walking around your neighborhood, you're a black man. I'll bet you even today still have experiences that someone like me doesn't have. Is that, is that true? So I'll give you some examples. When I uh, walk in my neighborhood, no one knows that I'm a professor. I'm, I'm just a black guy that's walking in their neighborhood. They don't know I actually have a home in the neighborhood. I had uh, white guys in trucks who have driven by me and have slowed down and have stared at me, you know, the whole entire way down, you know, the street. When I'm off campus, there's very few people know that I'm a professor. Um, I don't look any different. I'm in my regular clothes. When I'm walking on the street, I'm thinking about what can happen. I'm never not thinking that. Wow. And I'm, see, always, I'm always thinking about, am I going to make it back to my family today? And I think for those of us who don't live that experience, it's real easy to assume, well, we're well past that. That doesn't happen today, right? I mean, yep, yep. Th- that's never happened to me, so it's not on my mind. I don't think about it. Um, think, about, think about this. There have been experiences where my, uh, me and my two sons are walking um, down the street, and we're just walking to the, the park. This is before the coronavirus. And there have been multiple cars who have come by, and they have slowed down to, to marvel at me and my sons. I assume that this doesn't happen to other cultures. Mm. And my my assumption is that this is something they have not seen in the Steerwater community. Mm-hmm. They haven't seen that many black men that are engaging with their sons, that are taking their sons to the park. Um, usually there may have there may be a um a woman with their sons or their children, but a black male that are engaged with their children. Mm-hmm. This is this is something they haven't experienced, and and they are they. I mean, they they literally slow down <laughs> to get this experience. Right. It's like wow. It's a it's a unicorn. That's <laughs> 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 how they look at it. It's like it's a unicorn, and it's sad on one sense and then it's part of my impact on the other sense right if this is real this happens every day Mm -hmm. in the black community this is not anything new it's just you haven't seen it right we i know elephants exist (laughs) 
I know it exists, but I haven't seen one. Right. If you saw one walking down the street, you'd I stop wouldn't and look. Be, I wouldn't. I, I mean, I, I would. I I would say, wow, there's a <laughs> there's an elephant, but I wouldn't say, oh man, I didn't know this existed. <laughs> That's different. Right. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I'm sorry to make no, you cry. No, I'm no. making you cry. <laughs> As a father of sons, I have I have two children. I have a son yeah, and yeah. a daughter. Yeah. Um, and one thing that uh, I've heard a lot about since last summer with the George Floyd mm-hmm, mm-hmm. tragedy is um, the conversation that black parents have with their children, their sons especially, about sort of being aware of the fact that they uh, may be treated a little differently in the world, especially when it comes to law enforcement. Is that a conversation you've had with your children? Um, the first conversation I had with my, um, child, with my, my oldest son, um, happened, um, when he was three. Wow. This happened because he came home and, um, someone said that, that you're different and, Mm. um, you're brown and no one else here is brown. And he was very upset about that. And so we had to, had the conversation that, he is awesome. His brown skin is unique. Um, God made him exactly that way. So he can be able to communicate to people about, I'm awesome. My brown skin was made perfectly for me. And there's all shades of people. And we're all special. That then, you know, leads me to a conversation where, you know, people think, that because I'm a professor, that things that happen to black and brown people do not exist. Mm. For instance, in 2019, I have been stopped several times by OSU police and Stillwater police. They don't know that I'm a professor. And you know, we I've had these conversations with the um, Stillwater police and with the, um, and so we, we had these conversations and, and it's not about me. It's about, we need to make sure that, that officers are trained. They, when they're stopping, even how they stop individuals, you know, making sure that they communicate why they stop them before they even get to my window. They communicate who they are, why they're stopping me, the information that they need, because I've had one stop where my son behind me, we're just leaving church, we get stopped, and my son says, are you going to jail, daddy? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Which is heartbreaking. Oh, my goodness. And what do I say? <laughs> what do I say? I, mean, I, don't, I hope not. <laughs> right, I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. This will be, this will be terrible. It will be terrible. <laughs> you know, so um, these types of these types of stressors, I believe, leads to the reason why we have increased heart disease, depression, these other ailments that some ethnicities do not have, because we're dealing with things that other people do not have to even think about. I'm sorry, so heavy. No, no. Well, <laughs> honestly, that's what I expected. Um, <laughs> The other thing that we, as a culture, we have to make sure is that we don't lose our culture. So kids, 
when they go out in a community that has a certain culture um, that may be different from theirs, they adopt that culture. And that's fine as long as they understand that the culture that they're a part of is also special. Mm-hmm. So they can mend those things together and it makes them a very good person because they can then translate in different different ways. And one thing has allowed for, for me in particular that I can go into a variety of places and be part of that experience, right? I can be part of that experience, but I can still go back to my culture and be who I am also, mm-hmm. right? And it, it don't, I don't lose that. That that's a special gift. It's kind of like a chameleon. At the heart, I'm gray. Actually, the, the, my original color is gray, <laughs> right? And I'm not trying to be green. I'm just trying to associate with people. I think sometimes I have a responsibility because of where I am mm. to speak and be a voice for people that do not have a voice. Yeah, they don't have it. So my job. And of course, it's a it's an expensive job. <laughs> yeah, it's expensive job. But I have been blessed to be in a situation like this. So I have to speak for people that can't speak for themselves. I couldn't help but think when I was preparing for this interview, what I know of your research, and I know your your research is varied, and we're going to get into that. But part of what you do involves melanin. Yes. And I couldn't help but think. Is there a connection as a, yes, of as, course as a black man? Did that there help inspire? It okay. definitely was. It definitely was. So we're going to, we can start there. Um, so this um, really started back in, in my postdoc at Carnegie Mellon. Um, there was a program that mentors and educate the next generation of unrepresented minorities into the sciences. Um, and especially, it was basically a postdoc and graduate student program to faculty. And one of the exercises was to develop a research proposal that could be evaluated during the workshop. And one day, I wanted to know what, because I kind of work in the area of dyes and color things. And so I was like, what dye or pigment that is responsible for my dark colored skin. Mm -hmm. That then led to me finding out about melanin because I didn't know that was the pigment at that point in time. I went a little deeper to figure out what the chemical structure of the molecules. That led me to find out that there isn't a, we don't know the true structure of it. We do know the building blocks that make make it up. And so I was interested in developing well-defined melanin-type molecules that we can then understand why melanin has so many properties beyond the pigment that we think about. Mm. I mean, it conducts electricity. It protects neurons in the brain. It colors our hair. It's responsible, it has a responsibility in skin cancer and not getting skin cancer. There are so many benefits of a molecule that is disordered. Mm. Usually you get properties like this from ordered molecules, 
but this is a disordered molecule and it's actually a very simple molecule and it gives just a huge number of properties. When you talk about it being disordered, can you explain that a little more? Mm -hmm. Let's think about two different types of compounds. So if you think about salt, it's a crystal and you know you can see it. So or, or maybe even um, a diamond. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a crystal. It's, it, it, has, it has a specific shape. Well, if you think about things like melted glass, mm. so it doesn't really have a good shape. And we call that more amorphous type material. Usually compounds like, um, do, do, you, do you know things like graphene? And I think that might be a little too much, too much going on. <laughs> I, I, so I'm, I'm trying I know to graphite. Think- Graphite, graphite also. So uh, graphite is actually pencil lead, right? Mm-hmm. So usually things with superior properties typically to be more ordered. Okay. And melanin is not. Melanin is not ordered. It's what we consider cross-linked. So um, it's all the molecules are connected to each other. There, There's not a specific way they've done that. This kind of like all over the place. The main reason why I want to do melanin is that I was interested in solar cells. Mm. I was interested in solar cells. And here is solar a, cells it, like a like a solar panel. Like right? a solar panel. Mm-hmm. But the materials in a solar panel is is silicon. I wanted to make solar panels that we made out of organic carbon-based materials mm. because they could be flexible. They could be used with not direct light. They could be printable. That means you could actually inkjet print them. You could spin coat them. And so now they could be cheaper. Think about your windows on your house, right? Or your windows in in your car. Think about that material that they use to tint it. That could be Mm -hmm. your melanin materials. And they can use that to charge your battery. So instead of your mm. house being powered by, by the electricity that you are getting from the power plant that is usually steamed from some coal or some unrenewable source, you can have that energy going directly to a battery or going directly to your house and you can use it. And so now you have a pigment that absorbs sunlight. So from ultraviolet all the way to infrared that's the visible region, and making a material that can, a pigment that can absorb the light and then convert it into electricity. That was the original plan. Right. And from there, you've branched off and done. And, right. And then I branched off into sensors. I've branched off into organic lighting emitting diodes. That's the actually the opposite of a solar cell. You know, a LED, right? LED, the LED right. light bulb, light right? emitting diode. Light, okay. Diode. Okay. <laughs> okay. So OLED. Those are what are in your phone. So OLED mm-hmm. TVs, that's organic light emitting diodes. Those are oh. organic compounds. Those are carbon-based compounds that are there. And so what, what is actually doing the work are these dyes. What they do is let you, you apply electricity and then they give off light. That's the opposite of a solar cell where you take light and convert it to electricity. Here you take electricity and create light. And you've also talked about doing some research with things like paint, right? Like mm-hmm. paint on a wall. Right. So that that's still melanin. That's still melanin materials. So so I talked about having a paint 
that you could paint on a wall and then have your wall lighting up. That's mm -hmm. actually the organic lighting emitting diode. So the electricity is applying to the paint and the paint is lighting up. And what that means, as I understand it, is you could have your wall different colors at different times. You can times. have your wall different color, but also um, it's energy efficient. Mm. Um, so when you think about the reason why we have transferred from those plasma TVs to, to organic light emitting TVs is because they use less energy. They don't heat up. You can actually now, you can see that the TVs that we had before is really thick. You can have larger and flatter televisions now because of that. We started our conversation talking about Dr. McNair, who um, was an astronaut who died in an explosion. I can't help but wonder if there's a connection to some research you're looking into now about melanin and things like solar panels on a on a shuttle. You know, I didn't I didn't put that together at that point, but you know, things that I have been interested in, in terms of melanin, I again um, melanin um, has been known to. Um, absorb radiation from the sun besides sunlight that get to the earth. So, mm -hmm. you know, when you think about gamma rays that are in space, it can also absorb that radiation and convert it into electricity. And so that's something that I'm still interested in. Um, I had a meeting just now that we're moving forward with, you know, trying to make these well-defined materials. And so, you know, hopefully one day we'll be able to have those types of material that can be able to absorb that radiation. Just to get like way ahead of where you are in the research, it sounds like theoretically, there are a lot of uses we could do with this. I, I think you and I had a conversation about, I, I mentioned like if I could buy one suit and have that suit be different colors, you know, I want it to be a pinstripe black suit today and then maybe <laughs> it's my blue suit next week. Like that to me would be awesome. And I would pay extra money for that because I'm pretty cheap. Um, <laughs> But there's a lot of different things you could do with this theoretically, right? Yes, there's there is um, some things that we are moving forward to as you think about some wearable electronics. Melanin is a biocompatible material. It's already in your body. So you can think about some devices that are implants in your body. Like you can think about some hot monitors that could be inside or outside. You can think about new types of pacemakers different types of brain stimulators, electrodes for measuring brain function. And so we can better understand how the brain is working. You can think about different types of implantables that could be used for a variety of things. You know, now we have, you know, our smartwatches, but what about we had something that was more biocompatible that could be implanted mm. in your body? Uh, in terms of diabetes, we can have some implantables for that too. That's all, of course, very practical. You've you've gone back and made it very practical again. And and one of the things you're looking at that is very practical, I understand, uh, is related to diesel fuel. Do you, you want to explain that? We found out that melanin also has antimicrobial properties. What that means is that it's able to kill bacteria and fungi naturally. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to explore that by derivatizing it to its properties. And so what we have been doing is we have been making these molecules that can kill bacteria that are in contaminated diesel fuel. The more we talk, the more I find out about what melanin can do. My goodness. <laughs> um, yeah. It seems limitless. <laughs> yeah, just if we can harness it, the whole 
nature has utilized it for so many things. So mm. the reason why we found out about it as a antimicrobial and antifungal agent is because there's different types of fungi that produce melanin on their surface in order to kill other bacteria <laughs> in the area. <laughs> so they basically synthesize or make melanin on their surface. And they then kill the other bacteria that are the other bacteria are the fungi and they take over. So it's so, like it's like chemical warfare. Yeah, it is. It is. So they they use it as a fortress, and but their fortress also scavenge the nutrients from the other bacteria fungi and then brings it to itself and then starves them, but it also acts as a antibiotic, which also kills it. What we had decided to do is we make these melanin-type materials, and what happens, what we think is happening, is the cell looks at it and says, oh, I could use that to make my protection on the wall. And it's kind of like a Trojan horse. And so they pull it in, and now I have some warheads on it. And so it pulls it in and then my warheads, you know, you know, go off when it gets inside. <laughs> I had not really thought about melanin being that prevalent in nature. So let's think about things that are black. Mold. They're producing melanin type compounds. Okay. What about the squid? You know, that ink sac, all of that is melanin. That's pure melanin. Well, and when we were talking, when you and I were talking before about uh, different uses, uh, different things we could do, we were talking about the wall and suit. You were mentioning different animals that you get different colors from, I believe. And animals may, may be too narrow a word. but So I think the cuttlefish is the where, you know, they have these different types of pigments that uh, they, we still don't really know how it works. If we could figure that out, we could have <laughs> camouflage that really make people you couldn't see. Because I don't know if you've seen a cuttlefish. Cuttlefish can almost get almost transparent. They can move and it changes. I'm looking at images of cuttlefish. Isn't it crazy? It is. It is. Well, they they all look like LED. It looks. It looks like small LED light bulbs, doesn't? And then it starts to flash. It starts to flash. I'm like, can you? So another project you're working on is detection and recognition of airborne chemicals on board a small unmanned aircraft system, which is Draco of SUAS. What is that? So what Draco does is it actually is a, it's a smeller. It smells toxic compounds such as chemical warfare agents, explosives, basically other toxic compounds. And it tells us that it's there. It's kind of neat. You have these melanin compounds and you have several of them on a chip. Just like when you sniff up, the vapors go into your nose. So the vapors goes into your nose, and in your nose, there's something called an array. And what happens is, there's a lot of different things in there that says, okay, this combination of things says I'm smelling the orange. So what this does is the vapors come in, they light up the melanin compounds, the camera looks at it and says, oh, that is a explosive. Oh, there is people in here. Oh, there is chemical warfare agents in here. So what the Air Force wanted is they wanted a small 
drone that could be thrown into a building mm. and it can detect things, okay? And so this is going to be used to protect the air fighter. So you want to find out if someone was making explosive in a building. So you throw this in there. It goes through there autonomously. That means that it goes there without any remote control. And it just basically searches to see if anything is there. You know, did someone, was someone making explosives in there? Is there some bad chemical warfare agents in there? And I don't need to go in there. Is there people in there? And just to make this point real obvious, what you've done is not risk someone's life to go get all this really important information, right? I mean, you're, you're saving lives. Yes, this is for the Air Force now, but imagine firefighters. You throw this in the building, it goes through the building autonomously, and they said, there's a person in room apartment A, you need to get that person. Or you can have a, you can have a, you can have not just a camera on there, you can have, because infrared, right, so you can see through the fire or whatever, you can have a voice on there that's telling people how to get out, because you can see the way out. The main thing is that it's cheap enough to be disposable because it's kind of like a cartridge that you put in. You put a cartridge in there with the, with the different compounds in there, and then you can go out and sense, and you find out that it's chemical water for agents. You don't want that to come back. You just, you just let that explode. <laughs> <laughs> you explode over there. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want that to come back. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> are you are are they are are you falling to bleach and then that get disposed of you know in a in a different situation? Um, I think that this is something that's going to be very important at mm. some point outside. Just like GPS was a military invention, yeah, and then now everything we do is based on it. Let me ask you a philosophical question. Whenever you get involved in research that you know has a military application, I can't help but think, does that then fall into the wrong hands at some point and become a problem? I mean, is, is that something you think about where, where this could go that is not what you've intended? This is, a, this is a question that has been going on for a long time. I would say all the way back to Alfred Nobel where he developed mm -hmm. a product um, invention called dynamite that was the original purpose was to be able to blast through mountains so we can actually have train tracks through there, be able to for mining. Then it went from there to being used in a military type way where it's killing people. And that's one of the reasons why he developed the Peace Prizes. Because all of the, that wealth that he received, he decided he, he didn't like the world wars. And so yeah. he decided that he wanted to, you know, basically put some of his wealth into that. It's hard to try to think about that up front because I'm trying to help people. I think that this can save lives and mm -hmm. save soldiers' lives and outside of that be able to save civilians' lives. And so if I get wrapped up so much into getting into the to the wrong hands we lose the opportunity to save lives that's that's a good answer and i i feel like it's the right answer but i couldn't help but yeah it's think it's, about it's it. a it's a hard it's a very difficult situation because you don't want this to be used to harm people that mm -hmm. that that's not where i i want this to go 
Well, and I will say you're not talking about developing a nuclear weapon mm-hmm. that is a weapon. You're mm-hmm. talking about something to detect things. And as you were saying, you're talking about using it in a fire or um, any number of situations that it's not one side fighting another. It's just saving lives. So yeah. Yeah, but you you'll be you'll be surprised. Creative people are on good side and bad side. <laughs> and they can find a way to That's make right. some things be evil. That's true. On on a lighter note, talk to me about green methods for the synthesis of organic materials. Okay, so um <laughs> we I <laughs> um so this is a new project that we have been working on, I would say in maybe the last um uh 12 to 8 months. And where we have decided that we want to think about making these materials that we use in sensors and electronics, can we make them in a green way? Mm. And what I mean by that, our our particular green way is, can we go away from using things like solvents, which Mm. make up the largest compartment of waste? solvents are just used to dissolve the starting material so we can actually get to a final product, for instance, a pharmaceutical drug. But the solvents are used in a reaction to make it into a solution. Then we have to remove the solvent and then dispose of it. It's never incorporated into the final product. Mm-hmm. Can we take whatever we put into the pot that we use all of it. You think about gumbo. We put put in some shrimp. We put in some rice. We put in all this stuff that goes inside the pot, we utilize. So we want to think about everything mm. that we put in the pot, we want to get the benefits of that. And so where we've been working on is something called a ball mill. A ball mill is a, a, a steel container. Use this, use this steel container. You can actually use a variety of container. And you actually add in a ball bearing. And we have to go back to general chemistry because remember, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a teacher. So mm-hmm. when I go back, way, way back in general chemistry, we really think about what actually causes reactions to, to happen. It's actually collisions. It's actually mm-hmm. the molecules bumping into each other. That's actually what causes reactions to happen. So what we're doing is we're having the vibrating of the ball bouncing against the walls and the bouncing against the, the compounds. And in the solid state, in solids reacting with solids. Usually that don't happen. Usually put them in solution to cause them react. But here we have a solid reaction because the ball is causing the kinetic energy and it's smashing the molecules together and causing a chemical reaction. And so can we use this method to make the next generation of materials that can be used in the Draco? that could be used in these other electronics. How fast is this ball bearing moving to be causing these reactions? So we can, we actually control, can control that. We go from 18 RPM, so that's rotations per minute. So you can go into high to low. So we found out that by controlling that ball speed, we can actually control the reaction. So you can get some reactions to occur with higher ones and some to reaction with slower ones. It depends on the reaction. You can control it by the speed of the ball. That's That will be your, your collision frequency. It's just basically how fast you're shaking it. We can control it by the time, how long it's actually in the ball mill. We can add a catalyst that can then do transformations into other types of compounds. This this is fascinating to me because I've not I've not seen anything like that. Have, is that a common thing now? A a a ball mill? 
this is very this is very um new this is something that has been happening i would say in the last five to six years where okay. people have shown have been shown to do chemical reactions in the ball mill what's also beneficial about it is there's some there's some uh, reactions that won't happen in solution that will only happen in the ball mill well i know i watched your your ted talk earlier oh mm-hmm. i reviewed that this morning and one thing that jumped out to me is you said the takeaway I want you to have today is chemistry is awesome. That's it. (laughs) And it sounds like if you didn't get anything that I said, (laughs) you didn't get it. You didn't use like, so chemistry allows you to do so many different things. Mm. It really allows you to do a lot of things. When you ask someone what a chemist does, Mm they say they destroy the environment they make things explode <laughs> it's usually bad it's never usually mm-hmm. um and they don't associate that everything that is made was made by chemists at mm-hmm. some point either analyzed or made made by chemists and they, they they don't even understand like uh, all the pharmaceutical drugs, chemists. That vaccine, chemists. I fire mean, extinguisher. Fire everything. I mean, like fire. The, the, all that stuff is is the chemist. So, um, I just wanted people to realize that that chemistry is awesome. Just the chemistry is mm-hmm. awesome. And if I didn't they didn't get anything else, that's what I wanted them to get. Jason, you have not asked a single question, which is absolutely fine. But mm-hmm. is there anything you've wanted to ask? Well, I was reflecting on uh, the wide range of topics we covered, Mm. and I thought um, the first thing that came to mind was as we learn more and more about the benefits and strength of the molecule melanin, do you feel there's some sort of a parallel in how beneficial it is for the culture to learn more about those of us who have varying degrees of melanin? Yes, I I I think um, I, I didn't explode. I mean, I mean, I mean, maybe you need to comment on that. Like, you just need to come in at the end. I got up. <laughs> that you said that it you said that, you said that. Per, I don't know where I go from there. I don't know. Mm. I don't know what I say there. And so, um, um, the hard part is I got to leave in five minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so many benefits. And all of us has all of us has some form of melanin. All of us. There's some. There's different types of it. There's mainly two two main types. There's the U melanin, which is the black brown version, and the Fiu melanin, which is the the red the, the red um, yellow ver the yellow red version. And we have a mixture of all them of all of them. And what we have done is we have separated people based on the concentration of a pigment. It's, it's really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I have been um, really interested in melanin in particular and how, and how does it relate to culture mm-hmm. and how does it relate to, because there's different concentrations and there's different cultures that are related to it. We think about people that are, you know, from, from Indian descent or Sri Lankan descent, and it's just different concentrations of the of these compounds, different cultures. Remember, changes in discomfort. If your brother is hurting, 
and you're comfortable, something's wrong. That's yeah. it. That if we all think about like that, my brother, don't matter what amount of melanin they have, right? If they're uncomfortable and I'm comfortable, there's an issue with that. There's no change in that. Well, and there's always somebody hurting. Yeah. There's someone hurting. And if we if your brother is hurting and you're comfortable, there's an issue and we have to find we have to find and it's not it may not you be not be the solution, but you can try to understand. That's it. We'd like to thank Dr. Nelson for joining us. If you have any questions or other feedback, please reach out to us at pokespodcasts at okstate.edu. Remember, there's no T in Pokes Podcast. And with that, we'll end with our closing question, how do the arts and sciences make the world a better place? You asked me to, to think about this and now I'm like, okay, now I'm on, I'm on the spot. But you asked me, you told me it well <laughs> in advance. You told me well in advance, so it's not on you, it's on me. <laughs> It's actually amazing how not just OSU, but most universities, they have blended the arts, which think about, when I think about, it's kind of like the heart because it's the things that change your emotion. These are the visible things that you get. So you get the visible, you get the heart, you get the, you get the feeling. And then you mix it with something that I would say that is the exact and hard type of of it. And you mix those together and you, you basically, you marry together two things that I think are different. Mm. You marry them together and now you get, you get a diverse collection of people that have to bring in their differences and understand each other. It's one of the things that we would say we want the world to be like Mm. in terms of blending of diverse people from different backgrounds to do something that is worthwhile. I feel like I, I never do this well enough because it, it it's it's really a um, because what I what I've done is I always every time I come over there to um, um, life science life science west east east I can never remember I walk down the hall where they have the different departments and so I look at them and they all have an emblem and I look at each one of them and it's so diverse but so together. And I don't know how to really express it. It's like, and I don't know if this is in the design, but every one of the emblems are totally different, but you know how they go together. I have it now. So ask the question again. How do the arts and sciences make the world a better place? Each one of the departments fit together like a puzzle. And it makes the society see everything clearer.